iHeartMedia presents CEOs You Should Know. Bill Brooks here in the iHeart Studios, and we're visiting with the founding principal and CEO of Atlas Industrial Outsourcing, Brandon Ulmer. First off, Brandon, thanks for joining us today. Oh, man, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. You know, I was just thinking not too long ago, if you were being interviewed here in the iHeart Radio Studios in Mobile, it would be to talk about your band, Top of the Orange, and opening for the likes of Leonard Skinner or maybe Poison. But you've transitioned from a long hair guitar player to wearing a suit and running a fast-growing company. So, inquiring minds want to know, how did this happen? Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's actually an interesting story. You know, a, a lot of people, you know, especially in, in, you know, this building, they know me from the, the top of the orange stuff and the radio stuff. But the whole time I was doing that, I was actually working in the industry that I'm in now for my parents. Uh, my, my dad actually started a company back in 1999, and they really didn't know how to use the computer systems. And so I stepped in and figured out how to run payroll and do some invoicing. And next thing I know, dad's like, I don't have to pay you. So <laughs> you have a job now, you know? And so it's uh, it was really good for me because I got to sit in and, you know, really understand the intricacies of each part of what we do. And it's really helped me to shape the way that each part of our company operates with the other parts of the company, you know? Well, it sounds like you were just destined to run this kind of business that otherwise you might never have become involved in. Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've actually been able to grow up. The, the thing about our company is what we do is, you know, Atlas Industrial was actually founded as an answer to the high technician turnover issue that faces our industry. And what we do is we recruit, vet, train, and outsource industrial maintenance technicians, or hydroblasters, to companies throughout the United States uh, as labor support for outages, turnarounds, and shutdowns. And that, that is in all areas of advanced manufacturing and in power generation, you know. And in doing all of that, because I got started at a young age, I've been able to kind of grow with the industry and see how, you know, a lot more emphasis on safety has happened. A lot of the certifications and training has changed, you know. I remember when there was no Twit card, you know. I remember when, you know, you could just basically show up at a facility and walk in, you know. And I think that um, all of these facilities have done a great job of growing, but because I got in so young, I've been able to kind of evolve and grow with it. So I wanted to know a little bit about you and your business before you got here today. Stalker. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> and I read about these hydro blasters on your website, which sounds a bit like something from Ghostbusters. So set us straight on that, would you? Oh, no. A hydroblaster, I mean, to, to layman's terms, is the best way I could put it is it's like a hydroblaster, or excuse me, it's like a pressure washer on steroids, you know. A pressure washer usually goes up to around 4,000 PSI. Uh, the applications for hydroblasting can actually range anywhere from 10K all the way up to 40K, which is 40,000 pounds of pressure. There are some applications, uh, some of the companies that we do work for have teams that actually do steel cutting, you know. Like if you're, imagine you're at a refinery and you've got a tank, and that inside of that tank is something that will probably blow up if you get a spark on it. So you can't do what's called hot work. And they can actually take a machine and bolt it to the side of this tank and they can use water pressure at like 40, 60,000 PSI. And I've seen applications where they cut through like six inch steel like butter. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, water carved out the Grand Canyon. So I guess I get that. True story. Wow. I mean, and yeah, yeah, they've got some grit in there, too, and they do that, you know, so it's not just the water. There's a little bit of material, yeah. but either way, it's still pretty amazing. We're with Brandon Ulmer, CEO of Atlas Industrial Outsourcing and Mobile. And to look at you, you're pretty young. You must have been a preteen when you started working for your folks. Yeah, oh, that was back in 1999. I was 12. You know, I'm, I'm 33 now, and we actually founded our company. Um, yeah, I want to say it was November the 17th of 2018. 
and we were operational and ready for business by February. I mean, we spent the first little bit of time really concentrating on process management, workflows, who's going to be held accountable for what, that kind of thing, you know. Wait, now, it sounds like you started a business to compete with your parents. Well, my, my parents actually had sold their company to a gentleman out of Dallas, and I worked for him for a long time, and then I had the opportunity to kind of go into some other things. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, I, I was in music, and uh, Matt Roberts from Three Doors Down had actually contacted me about working with him on a, a label that he was starting, you know, so I was, I was kind of burnt out at the time on what I was doing, and... I was able to kind of transition over into working with Matt for a little while. And then, unfortunately, I'm, I'm sure you remember Matt actually ended up passing away. Um, and that was a really sad story, man. Um, he, he was a great dude. And I owe him a debt of gratitude because my life has been an adventure because I knew that guy. You know, everything we did in music, you know, and then transitioning over, his father is actually my business partner. And so he was uh, he actually provided the seed capital that got us started. And so it's been, uh, it's been a cool ride. Um, but I've worked for several companies that do what we do, and I had a different business philosophy than some of the people that, that I worked for, you know, not to not to say anything about people, you know, but um, my philosophy has always been I have to find a way to reinvest into my employees. I have to find a way to basically operate at a level that's comparative to the people that I am supplying, meaning if the HR laws in California are at this level, then I need to match or exceed that. Because if I can find the hardest thing to do and I can match it or exceed it, then that's going to be our norm. And we try to teach our guys that excellence should be our default setting. And so having the opportunity to A, do it my way, B, sort of be my own boss, which really sounds cool, but in a way that means I'm responsible for the success of everybody on my team, you know. Um, but to have the opportunity to do that and step over, you know, either I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to succeed or not, but I'll never know if I don't try. So in diving in, I can tell you that we've been operational now for about at ballpark at around 16 months, you know, and we've operated in 28 states. Um, we have seen 33% growth in comparison to where we were last year, and I'm hoping to round out the end of the year uh, from a revenue perspective at probably in the high 60s by comparison. You know, and we're, we're a baby company. We're still learning a lot, and we've, we obviously we've had a long time to get it wrong. But the good news about our company is that you know we were founded on four core values, which I, I'll tell you about in a minute. But our, our core focus is to innovate and improve. So anytime something goes sideways, we always have a good opportunity because I have a great team. So the team is a very much like, hey, how do we get to the table, figure out where it went wrong, and fix the process? That way we can all agree to work the problem, not the person. You know, I, I talk a lot with other CEOs who naturally have their sights set pretty high when it comes to their particular goals, you know, whether it's customer service, quality product, safety. So my question always has to be really, how do you find or recruit people with the same vision? Um, honestly, a lot of the people that are on our team now, I've worked with throughout the other companies that I worked with, you know, and, um, you know, I, I guess they believed in and trusted in my vision enough that when the time came, you know, they, they either answered the call or they called me and said, hey, how do we get involved, you know? The, uh, the, the core team when we first got started was myself, <clears throat> my director of operations, Ryan Rhodes, who is a key asset to the team, man's brilliant. Uh, James McLaughlin, he is my uh, human resources director. He's currently serving as, as recruiting because we're, we're kind of shaping up our branches so that we can work toward expansion. Um, but I've worked with him for 10 years. Happy birthday to him. He actually turns 50 on Friday. Um, 
and he is uh, he's a good friend and he is a he's a key player also and then dr trey hood is actually our uh, safety director and dr hood is certified to teach osha 10 osha 30 has 40 he's just recently uh, been accepted into candidacy status because we're turning our office into an nccer um, i want to say it's called an ats it's an accredited training sponsor so he'll be a master trainer as of October 5th, and he'll be, we'll be able to actually train in CCER for, for our craft set, which is which is really going to be great for my guys because it's going to give them a lot more exposure to safer operations and best practices and that kind of thing. Brandon, backing up a little bit, you weren't born here in Mobile, Alabama, so would you tell us how you ended up here all the way from Pasadena? Yeah, a car actually. <laughs> no, no, I um, I was uh, I was born in Pasadena and then very quickly transitioned over. So I did I did grow up here in Mobile specifically. I grew up in Turnerville for a long time and then uh, kind of worked my way toward Mobile over time. And uh, it's been really cool because in doing what I do between music and between work, you know, I've I've traveled a lot and I love it here. You know, my wife and I live on Dog River. Um, we're renovating a couple of houses. If you ever get the opportunity, don't. Um, but having been able to, you know, musically, we tracked in Nashville. We worked in New Orleans. I've gotten to hang out in Los Angeles and all that traffic. You know, I've actually proposed to my wife in New York. I've uh, been to Italy, been to, you know, all, all over the place, you know. But the funny thing is, no matter what, never in one of those places that I ever, have I ever been and been like, you know what, I could live here. Because, I mean, this is home, you know. It's got, it's got all the charm of a small town. It's got all the industry of a big business, you know. Our music scene's awesome. Shout out to all my friends out there still doing it. Respect. Um, and then also with the adjustments that they've made to the city as far as, you know, attempting to rethink the airport and with the bridge and all that good stuff, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I really feel like Mobile is poised to really see a lot of growth and, you know, in the next several years. And so I really feel like it's a good place for us to be. It sounds like you feel good about the business climate here in Mobile. So then from a personal standpoint... What do you like about living here on the Gulf Coast? The people here are awesome. You know, the, the, the people really, I mean, that's one of the things that, that you see when you, when you travel a lot is that a lot of places get kind of stereotyped by the type of people that are there. And in most cases, that's not always accurate. But, you know, the people here generally are, are genuinely friendly. You know, I've worked with a lot of people and... To me, successful people want to see other people successful, you know, and so when you can align with people that are like that, that's that's awesome. Personally, I, I love the fact that we're kind of in the middle of everything, you know. If, if we want to go to Gulf Shores, we're a few minutes away. If we want to go to the casinos, we're a few minutes away, you know. I mean, we're kind of right in the epicenter of everything, so that's convenient. Yeah. So with your years as a successful musician and your years in business, I bet that your contacts folder on your phone is quite eclectic. So it seems to me that you're in a position to get a lot of things done to keep us moving along here. Tell me some of the things you and your company are involved in. I am on the board of directors for uh, Project Thrive, and Project Thrive is a Mobile Police Department-led initiative to turn Mobile into a trauma-informed community. And what a trauma-informed community does is it works towards identifying the causes and short and long-term effects of trauma, and also what are the resources that are available for people who are experiencing trauma, you know, and trauma can be direct, it can be indirect, you know, and uh, Curtis Graves, the director of strategic initiatives for the Mobile Police Department actually approached me about bringing our company online because one of the causes of trauma is the inability to pay your bills, you know, and in doing what we do, we have a lot of opportunity for people to go out and travel to various places, do the work that we do. You know, and I told him, I was like, you know, we may not be the answer, but we can be an option. 
in anything that we can do to help you know that's that's really kind of one of the things that rooted me in doing what we're doing you know and uh, I'm also on the board of directors for the Mobile Law Enforcement Foundation. All cities have law enforcement foundations, and the law enforcement foundations serve because police departments can't accept gifts or charity or donations or anything because there's a concern that it could compromise their impartiality. You know, So if a, if a big company was to say, hey, we want to donate $50,000 to the police department, and then their CEO gets pulled over... And he's like, hey, man, remember that check? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So the, the MLEF serves as the ability to actually funnel those funds into one place so that there's like a formal process for requesting those funds and make sure it's fair and public and all that good stuff. And I understand you're drawing on your music connections for a concert, too. Um, Can you tell us about that? We're actually in the process of trying to put together a concert for the fall. We've uh, been working with Sound Associates and a few other people to get some artists out there. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But I'm excited about being a part of it. And I think it's going to be good. That sounds great. Where's it going to be staged? Everything's up in the air right now. You know, I know. All I know is that the time frame is 2019. That's all I got. Okay, then. Visiting with Brandon Ulmer with Atlas Industrial Outsourcing. And Brandon, it sounds like you're involved in things you're really passionate about. So in your opinion, what's a game changer for us here? Uh, well, honestly, in my opinion, um, one of the things that not just Mobile, but the entire country is suffering with is the fact that education, while it's very, very important, education has overshadowed crafts for a long, long time, you know, and not that not that I'm trying to downplay the importance of education by any means, but, you know, growing up, it was go to college, go to college, go to college. And, you know, I had a lot of I had a lot of people and their parents were telling them, don't do what I did. You know, you need to go climb that corporate ladder and go get a good job with some benefits, et cetera, et cetera. And as a result, education has kind of been pushed. And so what's happening now is you see a decline in the skill sets and a decline in the amount of craft labor and skilled labor that, that's out there. You know, the bridge is great, but somebody's got to build it. You know what I mean? And what we're running into now is I think I read a study, um, the Department of Labor, Bureau of Labor Statistics put out something. And don't quote me on the year or the time frame. It was, it was something recent. But basically, they said that there were 7.2 million jobs available and only 6.5 million people looking for them. And so to answer your question, I, I personally feel like if we could work, you know, and I, and I, and I got to give a shout out to Dr. Reggie Sykes and his team over at Bishop. Um, I, I work really closely with Akareem Spears. He's, he's the director of adult education, and they've done a great job in creating vocational programs, you know. But raising awareness at, at the high school level on, hey, listen, you could go to college, and we want to encourage you to do what you're doing. But on one hand, you have all this student debt and trying to get a job. On the other hand, you could go through this vocational program and probably come out making anywhere from fifty dollars to $100,000 a year and not have all that student loan debt, you know. And for some reason, I feel like there is an image problem with skill in craft. You know what I mean? And so, and I will take this as an opportunity to say anybody who has a skill or a craft set are electricians, welders, plumbers, the guys on the Atlas team that are that are certified hydroblasters, I, I really, really respect and appreciate what they do. And they do not get enough credit for helping build the things that we all take advantage of. And... One of the things that we're doing in Atlas is I, I started something with my team called the Vocal Foundation, and it stands for Vocational and Occupational Certified and Accredited Learning. And we've been working with, uh, with Parks and Recreation in an attempt to use our safety trainers to go into the community centers and actually offer free safety training in hopes that that certificate would help someone get a leg up on getting a job. And I'm also using it as a recruiting tool. I'm not even going to lie, <laughs> but, you know, it's... Uh, 
you know, to me, that's that's really it. If we could if we could work toward pushing the understanding that there is a little bit of a separation in the understanding of the responsibilities and really the lifestyles, I guess, of people who are on both sides of that equation, be it educational or craft but it's necessary and if we can work to build that i think that would be a great help it seems like a win-win and there's nothing wrong with that for sure but i have to confess it makes me a little tired hearing about just hearing about all the things that you're diving into and with such a young company too do you sleep at all i could not do the things that i do if i did not have the team that i have I I am very, very blessed to have a team that is not only great at what they do, but bought into what we're doing as a company. Uh, A good friend of mine, uh, a guy named Marcus Walden, that I do work with actually in El Dorado, Arkansas, um, he turned me on to a book called uh, Traction by Gino Wickman. It's it's about something called the Entrepreneurial Operating System. And it was really able to kind of streamline some of the things that we needed to do. It helped us to establish our core values. It helped us to establish our uh, core focus. It also helped to let me understand what my responsibility is to my team. You know, I've worked for a lot of people and I understood my job, but I've never sat in this seat. And since sitting in this seat, it has helped me to respect the people that I used to work for in a completely different light. But also, it has uh, helped me to understand that it is my responsibility to provide my team with the support and the tools that they need to be successful. Because if I don't make them successful, I will not be successful. And so, by creating the vision component and allowing everybody to really share and understanding where we're headed as a company and where we see ourselves in 10 years, five years, three years, one year, the next 90 days, and really drilling down on the things that we need to concentrate on, subdividing and keeping everything clear and apparent, and then also tracking our metrics to make sure that we're really staying on target. It helps us to really keep it clear. There's no misunderstanding of where we're all rowing. And if you can get a team rowing in the same direction, you can be unstoppable. And the only reason I'm able to sit here here and have this conversation or work with the MLEF or the Chamber of Commerce, whom I also owe a shout out, by the way, and we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, all of those things are capable because I have the right people in the right seats. They get it. They want it. They have the capacity to do their jobs and they are bought into what we're doing. And we're really working toward creating a, a company that not only takes care of that team, but takes care of the entire team, including, you know, the guys that are out there actually doing the work. Because if those guys weren't out there actually doing the work, I would serve no purpose. I'm just some guy in a cool jacket, you know, like that's (laughs) that's really it. Well, it is a cool jacket. I think it's cool. Yeah, it is. (laughs) And what's really cool is that you're involved with so much, yet you maintain those core values. Well, it's, 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 it's about indoctrination and it's about consistency, you know. In one hand, you know, absolutely I have a hundred page employee handbook that is written down to to go through everything. We've got standard operating procedures, we've got job descriptions and responsibilities, but at the end of the day, my company operates on four core values. Number one is safety. Number two is professionalism. Number three is hard work and number four is honesty. It's how we fire, it's how we hire, it's how we coach, it's how we commend, it's how we give people raises, it's how we hold everybody accountable. And it was interesting because we started at the staff level, you know, and I read something one time that said you have to tell somebody something seven times before they hear it one time. And, and I've, I've learned that that's pretty true. So we started at the staff level and really started to kind of make it a part of our company culture to understand that, hey, I could go, well, section five of our employee handbook, part 23 is our code of conduct. You didn't do this. Or I can go, hey, professionalism. You know what I mean? And it resonates a lot more because 
it, it, it just helps us to stay on track, you know. And not only do we hold our employees accountable, we hold ourselves accountable. And I encourage my team to hold me accountable to the exact same thing. You know, I'm sitting here listening to the concepts you have in play, and it sounds like you're already setting yourself up to build a bigger team, complete with more leaders. Share with us your philosophy on building leaders. Uh, honestly, good leaders create leaders because they are they are more focused on taking care of their team than they are taking care of themselves. And if you can indoctrinate that into your leadership in the field with the understanding that they serve an important role and that they need to work on creating the next generation of them so that they have the ability to move up. Uh, in my position, uh, I've got a friend of mine, he's a customer and I consider him a friend. Uh, his name is Chris Bolden and he is uh, actually the area manager for North American Industrial Services and he's in the Salt Lake City area. And he actually turned me on to a book by a gentleman named Pete Blaber and he is a special forces commander and he wrote a book called The Mission, The Men and Me. And at the end of the day, it's a fantastic reader, I recommend it. Um, at the end of the day, it really boils down to those things in that order. The mission comes first. Whatever our goals are, whatever it is we're trying to accomplish, that has to come first. The second thing is your team. If you don't take care of your team, they will not take care of you. People don't leave companies. People leave bad leadership. And I think that if, if the person at the top understands that, that that org chart is really upside down, you hold up everything, and you have to make it possible and address all issues. And giving other people the opportunity to excel, you know, and giving other people what they need to be successful, to me, that's the important thing about what a leader should do. You know, I strive to do that, and I, you know, I try to tell my guys anytime we get in a position where I have a shortcoming, you know, I, I try to tell them, you know, guys, I want to be the leader that you deserve because I understand the talent that you have, and I've got guys that work for me that would add value to any company that they work for, and I am blessed to have them on the team, and. It keeps me humble, you know, and it just reminds me that that's that's really what it's all about. Apparently, you read a lot. You've mentioned a few books. So I'm wondering, with your lack of spare time, what's your secret? I mean, is it audiobooks or do you read actual books? A little bit of both, honestly. Um, my wife turned me on to this thing called Scribed, hmm. and it's fantastic because you have access to pretty much anything that you could want. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that I read is on suggestion from other people that I have respect for. Um, some of it is hard copy. A lot of it is, you know, anytime I travel or drive. Since I've sort of ventured away from music, I mean, I couldn't tell you who's cool on the radio right now because, you know, I'm too busy telling you about what Tony Robbins said the other day or whatever, you know. Oh, right. In my 20s, I read every positive mental attitude book I could find at the used bookstore down the street. Like, uh, Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great book. It's a great story, too. And The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. To start with the Napoleon Hill thing, I've got a, I've got a good friend of mine named Troy Harrison. He's actually a retired lieutenant colonel from, um, from the Army. And uh, we worked together for a little while. And then um, he actually transitioned over. And at 51, he became a mobile police officer. <laughs> And, and and he did his part. His his grandfather was actually on the force, and he wanted to do his service. Somebody somewhere should give this guy a medal. But um, Troy actually called me one day and said, "Hey, um, I want to start a mastermind group." And I was like, "Are you robbing banks? Like, what are you you know like, what are you talking about, man?" And he's like, "No, no, 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 no. I want to take people who are you know essentially like minded and wanting to be successful and coach other people and everything and really kind of have a roundtable every every little while." And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds great." And he was the one that actually turned me on to the book, you know. And I had I had seen some of the Dale Carnegie stuff, you know, and I had seen some of the other things. 
um, you know, from some of these other folks, but I did not realize that this thing existed until until he gave it to me. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't made it all the way through it, but I, I find myself cherry picking parts, you know, and kind of reading how they apply at times. And um, I think that the law of attraction and just setting yourself in a vision and saying, this is what I want to accomplish and remind myself and have those positive affirmations of pushing forward and finding a way to do that. And it's tough because I'm not going to say we're all in a good mood every day. You know what I mean? And uh, we're all human beings. You know, sometimes you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and having something to ground you and keep you pushing in that direction really will keep you on track. And the seven habits of highly effective people is fantastic. You know, I mean, I try to brush up on that one once a year, even if it's just as simple as reading through because I can take those points and you could you could really probably ask any of the guys that are on the team you know I've, I've always had a time to sit down either with leadership in the office or leadership in the field and help them by understanding hey look if you apply these things it's really going to be a game changer and slowly remind them because like I said you got to tell somebody seven times you know before it really starts to sink in but that's okay it reminds me too, you know what I mean? And so uh, for, for anyone who hasn't taken the time, you know, even if you just Google an image of what they are, look it up. Because even, yeah, I mean, it doesn't just apply to business, it applies in general, you know, and that's really what makes it a good read. Just any one of the principles in these books can change the course of a conversation, a relationship, whether business or personal. Do you remember the movie, uh, I wanna say it was a Heath Ledger film. Um, it was called, a Knight's Tale. It's a really good movie. There's a, there's one scene in this movie where the backstory of this is this guy, Heath Ledger, plays a knight who pretends to be a royal so that he can go and do these jousting competitions. And he's not. He's, he's a commoner. And back then, you know, that's a no-no. So he basically fakes his paperwork and he gets on. And, you know, ultimately he gets busted. And it, you fast forward, you know, 20 minutes ago, this guy was a hero and the whole town loved him. Now he's been busted. It's public that he's a fake. And he's sitting in the town square and he's in these stocks. And he's just laying there. And he's, he's in bad shape. <laughs> and, you know, the whole town that loved him 20 minutes ago, they're standing around and they're jeering and, they're, you know, they're throwing food yeah. at him like they do, you know. And all of the people in his camp, you know, the people that take care of his horses, the people that work on his armor, you know, they all get up in front of him to defend him. And earlier in this movie, um, he had actually helped a prince to, to basically retain his nobility and really kind of retain his honor. And um, he rounds the corner and everybody goes, oh, it's prince, you know, and so everybody bows down. And the prince walks up to Heath Ledger in the stocks and he leans over in his ear and he says, your men love you. If I knew nothing else about you, that would be enough. And that hit me in the chest, man. And I was like, if I'm in a position to lead, that's the person I want to be, you know, and I, I really I, I strive to do that. Wow, that's good stuff. Learning something from all of your encounters, movies, situations, people, which leads to my next question. I believe that sharing a meal with someone is a good, if not one of the best ways to get to know somebody, to get close to them and learn from them. So if you could have dinner with any three people from history, who would it be? Oh, wow. That's that's actually easy. Uh, number one would be Matt Roberts. Number two would be Clint Ulmer, my father. And number three would be Jesus Christ. Hmm. You know, number one, uh, Matt, you know, unfortunately, like we talked about, you know, Matt uh, 
Matt overdosed. He, he was a victim of this opioid epidemic that we have, and um, we lost a, a talented guy and a, and, a, and a good friend. You know, I, w- I wish I could say that we had parted on better terms. You know, we kind of had a business deal that went sideways, but at the end of the day, we were still friends, you know. And like I said, man, you know, I, I've, I'm, I'm 33 years old. I've opened for Leonard Skinner. I've opened for Poison. I toured with Three Doors. I toured with, uh, you know, you pick a band that was cool back in the day, and either either we played at a Coliseum or at least the Soul Kitchen with these guys, you know. And none of that would have been possible without, you know, Matt taking the time to get involved with what we did. And then furthermore, because of my relationship with Matt's family, his, his brother Daryl and his father Daryl, which that's not confusing, um, I wouldn't be here meaning that that team that I'm talking about is doing such a great job at doing what we're doing and the fact that we've grown as much as we have, none of that would have been possible without Matt. And I'll never have the opportunity to thank him. And I just want to make sure that I'm doing what I can to help push his memory along for the talent that he was. And if I could just, even if it was a cup of coffee, just to sit down and go, hey man, you didn't have to do a lot of the things that you did and I really appreciate it. Um, The second guy, Clint Ulmer, my father. You know, uh, not a lot of people know this, but Clint Ulmer was was not my biological father, and I didn't I didn't find that out until I was 22. But the interesting thing is, he never treated me any different, man. And it's funny because the older I get, and the more responsibility I have for other people, and the more I understand what bills are, you know, I I really have to take and put myself in his position at 21 years old, taking on this you know burden, if you will, that he didn't have to. And, you know, and he made it possible I was never treated any different. And until I knew, I didn't know, man. And my dad had a heart attack at 51 about four years ago and then passed away. And it was before we had done any of what we're doing now. And it would be really cool to sit down and say, hey, look, because of the work ethic that you instilled in me, because the whole time I was running around playing Rockstar with Three Doors Down, my dad was going, how much money you got in your pocket? Exactly. Go to work. You know, and I'd be I'd be I'd literally remember walking off stage. We uh, we did the the grand reopening of the Mississippi Coast Coliseum after Katrina. And it was actually Leonard Skinner, Three Doors Down and, and Top of the Orange. It was us. And when we got finished with this gig, you know, I was on cloud nine and I'm like, I just hung out with Ricky Metlock from, you know, and it was, it was awesome. And I came back and he's like, that's great. Go to work, (laughs) you know? So he really, he kept me grounded And, and everything that he instilled in me about work till you're done. Don't work till you're tired, work till you're done, you know? And all of those things have helped me to shape the way that I approach business and all of his sacrifices and all the things that he instilled in me. And it's funny how smart he got when I turned about 25, 26, you know? Because back then it was like, no, you're mean or whatever. But now it's like, you know what, I, I, I get it. And there was no way for me to get it then. Kids listen to your parents, they know. They've been there. That's that's all I'm saying, you know. And I'll I'll never really get the opportunity to thank him. So the best second, or the second best thing that I guess I could do is, you know, be a good example to my little brothers, and try to be a guiding light for the people that are around me. Because I deal with a lot of guys that maybe don't have fathers, and so it's our responsibility to coach. Because my dad didn't have to do what he did, and so for me to be in the same position where I have two options, I could either consider it a burden or I could consider it an opportunity or a privilege to be able to do this, you know what I mean? And that's really kind of what I'd like to do there. And as far as sitting down with Jesus, it'd be really simple. It'd be, hey man, what can I do different or better? We all talk about needing to accept constructive criticism and I feel like that would provide the ultimate constructive criticism, (laughs) you know? And uh, 
you know, so that would be that. I have to say, you're a young guy. You figured all this stuff out pretty early in life. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing is it's like, you know, here we are, we're sitting on this, we're sitting on this program, and this is called CEOs that you should know, right? And, and, and I feel like it's, 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 it's very glorifying of the role that I'm in, you know, but at the same time, I really don't feel like, I mean, my job is to serve my guys, you know? And I agree with you. There was a period during my 20s where nobody would have imagined that I would have been remotely responsible enough, you know, <laughs> to even do any of this because when we were running around with the rock band, we were a rock band, you know what I mean? I mean, we had good times. And, you know, to have to have come this far, you know, I, there's so many things that, that he would tell me back then that had I just listened and applied them, you know, maybe we could have done what we're doing now sooner. But, you know, as, as far as my age, man, I, I got pushed into a leadership role pretty early, you know, and when I understood I had the capacity to take on that responsibility, then I, I, I took it seriously, you know, and it's, I've kind of been in a leadership role in most of the environments that I'm in. And so it just kind of naturally put me in a position where, despite the fact that I may have done some foolish things in my 20s, you know, I had to grow up pretty quickly. And the thing that really put it in perspective is when top of the orange split and everybody had to kind of go and do their own thing. Yeah, I realized that, you know, I've lived this really selfish lifestyle and I'm in a position where doing, you know, doing the job that I do and having the career path that I do, I make it possible for people to pay their bills and feed their kids. And I really need to rethink the way I'm approaching this. And so I, I cut all my hair off because it used to be like this long, you know, and, you know, and that's when, when I really started to take it seriously. And I mean, I appreciate the vote of confidence, but by no means do I have it all figured out. And um, I guess that's really what it's all about, though, is you got to keep learning. If you rest, you rust, you know. Wise words from Brandon Ulmer, CEO of Atlas Industrial Outsourcing and Mobile. Before we close today, Brandon, is there anything you'd like to add? Like, are you hiring? Yeah, Atlas Industrial Outsourcing is hiring a lot of people. So if, uh, if anybody's interested, uh, atlas-outsourcing.com, look at some of our openings. Uh, right now, to, be, to put it in perspective, we, uh, we had a fantastic year last year for our first year. You know, uh, We actually came out in the black. And it's not supposed to happen, but it did, rock and roll. But um, I want to say November of last year, we peaked out at around 225, 250 people. And we are staring down the barrel of stepping into September already needing that volume and with fall shutdown season being what it is we will incrementally see you know an increase of of our you know ability to be able to you know put a lot of people out to work and you know i I recommend researching you know what hydroblasting is and you know what it is that that goes on out here because it's it's not it's not easy work you know it's it's hot it's dirty you know but it's you know it's honest pay for honest work and i think that uh just being able to raise the awareness that we do have a lot of opportunities. And the other thing is that we provide transportation, we provide lodging, we provide per diem. Even while you're out making a check, you're still going to get 25 to $35 a day, depending on, you know, what part of the world you're in. And um, it's a good opportunity for people to get started, you know, and the industry's not for everybody. But if we can increase the volume of people who understand what it is that we're looking for and understand that, you know, we have a training program. It's pretty, I have a dedicated safety department and, you know, we do have a training course and, 
we don't want anybody to be unsafe when they go to work. You know, we want to make sure that people are confident in the capabilities that they have. And even though we can't teach experience, obviously, we can teach awareness to the best of our ability. And so we can work with you on if you want to get into the industry. But a lot of travel involved, lots of hours, if you don't mind working long hours. But that also puts those commas in your paycheck. You know what I mean? So putting people to work so the American dream continues. CEO of Atlas Industrial Outsourcing, Brandon Ulmer, thanks for your time today. I appreciate you guys having me and thanks for taking the time. This has been iHeartMedia's CEOs You Should Know. 